0: We're gathered here today to join Mike and Jill in holy matrimony. CareerBuilder calls it the great rehire, and we want to help you get the best jobs before everyone else. CareerBuilder gives you the competitive edge to get the job you want, at the salary you want, with the benefits you want. We even send job alerts, so your perfect job lands right in your inbox. Go to CareerBuilder.com today, or get left with whatever jobs are left. Find your next job fast at CareerBuilder.com.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Get Out of Rap. Today um, I'm joined by Marianne Rutz. Marianne Rutz is a founder of Rutz Consulting and has spent a long career um, working in outsources with people like Hertz and PayPal and has managed operations numbering 3,000 FTE around the world. And I guess most importantly, she's an inspirational person to... To talk with, um, like me, she also runs a podcast which is brilliant. It's called Operational Excellence. Uh, some more details on that later. Please do listen to it. It's in terms of increasing your your knowledge about our industry. Marianne's great and has some great guests on. So yeah, hope you enjoy it. So, Marianne, thank you very much for for joining me. Um, we are. We share so many similar interests oh, Absolutely. And, and experiences so this is great to be able to to talk to you um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Great, me too. Thank you very much for having me as your guest. I'm delighted.
2: So let's start with the kind of the, the big question and weirdly when I was putting the podcast together I didn't think this would be an area that people were so kind of interested in but it's really to find out about the people that are coming on people like yourself how have you got to where you are How have you ended up where you are now
1: do you know what if somebody would have told me 20 years ago when we still called the contact center a call center remember yes (laughs) i would have said oh well you end up working in a call center and it will be your career i would have gone are you for real absolutely (laughs) not uh, but as it happened, um, I was I was privileged to help the Hertz Corporation to set up their, what they called, um, shared services center. And of course, that didn't sound like a contact center yeah. or a call center, as <laughs> matter of fact it is. So they hired me to help them transition from Switzerland, from Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, the countries basically that didn't speak English from mm. mainland Europe. Um, they hired me as a project manager just to to help transition, which I did, and I loved. Then they offered me a, a, a permanent position I was there for, I thought I was there for nine months on the contract. I left Hertz after six years in service <laughs> with them absolutely loved the place, and the only le- reason why I left was i couldn 't get past my upline at the time, mm-hmm. my direct line manager she was happy where she was, there was no movement, and there was. Yeah. I love this industry. I need to do better than senior team lead, junior ops. I really want to go to ops director. Um so I left and and went to, to PayPal, and that was my first really um high profile assignment, if you wish, looking after executive customers with PayPal. And that were that were people that spent thousands of pounds with PayPal mm. and, and had a complaint multilingual. So no English involved at all and then I said oh well there's something going here I'm the one that speaks a number of languages I love this and that kicked it off and here we go 20 odd years later I'm still here (laughs) I love the industry and I can wholeheartedly say I made it my career Mm. and I would encourage anyone that loves working with people loves solving problems and can stomach the the pressure that there is pressure in our industry. No two yeah, ways about it. Sure. But, but, but can learn to to kind of live with that and, and handle it. And then this is a great career to be in. Really. Yes.
2: Yeah. You're an evangelist like myself around what's yeah, possible totally. in, <laughs>
1: totally.
2: in, in, in our world. For that. Um, for the period then when you were at Hertz, yeah. was there how long was that period where you realised? that you wanted to do more, Um, was it a long period? Did you um and r for a while or?
1: Do you know, I don't think it was a little bit twofold. A, it suited my, the the, the stage in life where where I was on. I was, in fairness, in hindsight, I was running away from home basically. uh from the the family fell apart and and i needed something else to focus on and ireland offered me the Hertz offered me a visa i at the time because switzerland is not in the european union uh, i needed a working visa and you know for the first time when i had to queue at like 5 a.m in the morning uh, at the dublin immigration office in line with god knows how many other people and they're like lovely red sweet passport doesn't do anything here that was one thought oh when i get this stamp i'm gonna stick it out as long as i possibly can and then eventually it became a question of i love the work i had beautiful managers i do have Mm. to say credit to the team at the time they were really people focused Mm. they they offered me leadership training really early on Mm. um so I had a mentor there who was, he, he was just amazing. He was well above me, but he took the time. And yeah, when, when it then came about that the, the renewal didn't, I didn't have to renew anymore because we sort of struck some sort of agreement with the European Union, I said, well, I can now stay. So I stayed in Ireland. And I stayed in the industry, but I cannot tell you there was a distinct moment. I just Mm. grew into it. And yes, it helped that it was travel. That's what I had studied. So I had studied travel and tourism back home. So at that point, I was still thinking I'm working in the travel industry, not the call center industry. (laughs) As we now say, the contact center industry.
2: And then then from um, PayPal... You because you've been you've set up your own consultancy and you've been doing that for what eight years was that that PayPal straight into that
1: or no, it wasn't from PayPal. In PayPal, I realized that what I needed to really understand the whole big contact center world, there were two elements missing. A, I had never managed any more than 250 FTE. Hmm. And B, I had not worked for an outsourcer. I didn't have a clue what that meant. So outsourcers, they, well, I'll be frank here, okay? Outsourcers do not have a good name. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs>
0: so,
1: so as it happened then, I got I got an opportunity to work with an outsourcer, a very small outsourcer at the, at the time. And very little did I know that they would be swallowed up by one of the big ones. But it was a small outsourcer. Called client logic very small um, only across the road from Hertz, interestingly um, and i got an opportunity to, to manage to manage an operation of 300 uh, 3000 fte for lexmark wow. around the globe so i had operations yeah. in dublin i had in düsseldorf i had in rabat in bangalore st jones in canada and lexington where where lexmark's head office were. well that was a truly global vendor a a client relationship manager role so and that got me hooked you know I wasn't in travel anymore but I traveled and I loved it (laughs) so that really that was my entrance into the contact center into the contact center outsourcing world and I probably would have stayed there I I uh, did then a a contract a short contract. so that's when I Founded Woods Consulting mainly because I needed an umbrella company so mm. that I, I could get paid. <laughs> and then uh, five years ago, the my whole my whole entire wonderful world which I loved it it just literally it just fell to pieces when, when I was told that I when I was given a cancer diagnosis I was as healthy as anyone I didn't really? have I I had nothing. I I went to the doctor because I thought I had. I couldn't recover from my gastritis. That's why Mm. I went to the doctor Mm. and then um, there was in and out and and, and, you know, it's nothing wrong with you and maybe it's just give yourself time and whatever else it wouldn't go away. So eventually um, they sent me to a specialist here at the Fourth Valley Royal Hospital and it turns out it was a bowel cancer and it needed to come out like yesterday. I was like, what? So in fact, it's honestly, Martin, that was probably the one time where I thought, "Oh my god!" Yeah. So, I, 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 I went through the church, through the cancer journey. Um, used a number of tools that I learned in the corporate world. So, for example, I managed the whole. Chemotherapy and, and all of that. I managed that with the project plan. Really? And i never forget my oncologist's face. And I came in and said, Here is the plan. Will this work? And she was like, Oh, um, on paper, yes. It's the, the cycles and all is there. But I'm telling you now these milestones. She was very good. She said to me, I'm telling you, we will not be able to meet all the milestones. Are you prepared to move them? And I was like, yeah, Of course I am. That's what I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. so
1: so so that that was that was really when i thought oh actually i have something here so after
2: the after the shock then you actually applied some of the rationale and methodology
1: absolutely i used six six, i used the six six, sigma fishbone to kind of look at what's there and how does it going together what is waste what do i not want to deal with where is a process issue that you know I was looking for defects. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and then I put it in a nice project plan. I mean, in hindsight, yes, a lot of it was just trying to keep myself busy and occupied and not facing the harsh reality. Mm. On the flip side. Now, also, I am really convinced the methodology helped me to get through the treatment, helped me to stay focused, and most importantly, helped me to deal with setbacks because they were there. I could see they were there. So, I then kept myself busy and thought, well, actually, maybe I just do some sort of a qualification. I did some did a health coaching qualification, more for the for myself. And I started to uh, study um, uh, uh, applied occupational psychology because that was something I was always interested in. I had stacks of books that I had bought over the years and never read, and now I had the time to read. And I thought, like, oh, I could, I could um, coach cancer patients. So it was, it was well intended. So I started it, but what then happened? Did these- my ladies they they were unwell and t- two of them died and i was like mm. oh my god i can't do that that's really yeah. too close to home
2: yeah how long and was this how long w- was this period
1: so on the uh, the the cancer diagnosis was four years ago and then the treatment took about a year and a half so i of course had thought i am gonna do this in nine months yeah mm. i just sailed through this but then I had a, I had a relapse and I came out of remission and I needed further treatment and I had to go on. Um, so now I'm, I'm in remission and it's all holding and it's all fine. I'm not quite out of the woods yet. They haven't discharged me yet from the hospital. So I still go for my checkups. I still go for my appointments. Um, but then I think it was the first assignment I got was a small... Really small piece of work for Eurostar. They just wanted me to look at their operation in St. Pancras and in Gare du Nord. Because they basically said, Marianne, it's not working. We need mm. we need a health check. We need an assessment. It just doesn't work. So I took that. And it was French and English and German. I absolutely loved it. It was great. Then the next one came, a smallish one as well. And then I got a big contract um, uh, in tandem with with WebHelp and Signify in the Netherlands. And they said, okay, this is me. I I am now well and truly self employed in the contact center industry. I never really, I was not born an entrepreneur, Mm. but I thought I can really do that. And I love what I do and I can bring the expertise from working in-house, from working on the vendor side and the supplier side. I had a 12-month engagement on the Harriet Green um, with uh, with Thomas Cook, and that was amazing because she was just such a great lady to work with. unfortunately they, they did in September's cook said at the time you really need to move to Frankfurt I wasn't quite ready for that I have met my husband at then by then and you know ended up in Scotland basically rather well. <laughs> <laughs> than Frankfurt
2: <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot to unpack from that I have to say your, your enthusiasm is infectious and really uh, it's inspirational to hear a, a, a time when your world has been shattered after yeah. after applying that logic and then using the time to train yourself and to undertake qualifications and continue your career to the to the extent you have now is amazing it's brilliant
1: well thank you that's really kind of you to, to, to say I I firmly believe we we are who we who we are formed over a period of time and if we apply ourselves to the best we can there is there's so much good out there mm. especially in our industry what it what this what the cancer journey well and truly has done martin has given me a lot of compassion mm. for people in my world my frontline agents team managers ops managers that that suffer that that, that lost the joy on their job, mm. that maybe cannot cope with stress easily, or they do indeed have a, a a serious illness in the family. And and I really didn't, I was never harsh to anyone. Mm. I don't think I'm, I am that kind of person. But I lacked the understanding of how much this can impact on, on your career and your life. Mm. And that, you know, it, it opened me doors also within the industry where i can wholeheartedly go to a hr manager and say can i see your return to works and when i then read stupid things like oh that's the third absence because the mother apparently the mother-in-law is unwell
0: mm.
1: i'm going what did you write that for mm. oh well we don't quite trust this person it it, it seems to be a pattern I'm going. Has anyone actually really taken the time to dig a little bit deeper mm. on a maybe, human level? Maybe there is something on a human level, uh, mm. and he may well say, "My mother-in-law is, is unwell," mm. but maybe she's seriously unwell, mm. or maybe there's a, a wider issue that we can maybe address by adjusting the shifts, for example. Mm. I think it's I it's think so that's interesting. A mm. You know,
2: it's so interesting, isn't it? That. Um, I think it, I always think of team leaders and how, the, what we ask of them, given that they're looking after 15 or 12 to 20 people,
0: yeah
2: and I've had real experiences of having to coach people that it's an investment of effort yeah. to understand individuals at a human level, so that, that point you make is a really good example about the return to work and Everyone is focused on either the numbers and the process, which they should be. Absolutely. But, but, I, but I've seen too often, like you, people's assumption is that that, that there's some sort of uh, nefarious reason. People are, are not being truthful or they're making things up because they just wanted time off, rather than taking the time to really think and, and demonstrate empathy to yeah. say when people are going through things that we all go through in life, yes. some more serious than others,
0: yeah, absolutely.
2: That, that baggage and that weight is carried into the workplace. Yeah, And, you know, it is a responsibility if you lead people to try and alleviate that. And that only comes through understanding, doesn't it?
1: Totally. Absolutely. Totally. But it also, I, I appreciate that maybe not everybody can, can understand everything. I cannot wholeheartedly say I would... Not easily understand somebody that has maybe a, a, a mental health issue, a, mm-hmm. a de- depression issue. That's not me. Mm-hmm. But if somebody says my mother has cancer, mm-hmm. my goodness me, I know exactly what what this woman is going through and what that means for the family. And the first thing I, I would say would then be, how can I help you? Can I adjust your shift? If there these treatments, they always happen on the same day. Mm-hmm. What they do. Hospitals cluster the, the, the cancer types together for, for their chemo treatments, so that's all planable, mm. but not I need to go and find this out from my person. They would not come to me and say, "By the way, I need to go every Friday morning for my bloods and in the afternoon to cancer treatment. They would never say that because we created an industry that doesn't easily allow us to, to talk about these things, mm. but we, we are you know it it gets to me when then when you then read um people are our greatest assets or we trust you wholeheartedly yeah and we don't yeah it's just it's so disconnected
2: and i i often think the same about company values They're they're not just words and things yeah. that are that are on a wall i think if you really want to show that you put your people first it's actually in training people leaders on how on how to do that. Yeah.
0: And that absolutely. and that isn't
2: something that's done in a one-day session. You know, that, that, that takes some time, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
2: How has your journey and your experiences then because one of the things you were keen to talk about was this concept of people first leadership and the value inherent in that. Oh yeah. Firstly kind of like what what does that mean for you and um how what are the benefits of of seeing that kind of that concept
1: oh thank you for asking that's one of my favorite topics to talk about (laughs) so over the years i've obviously i was really privileged to to work in uh, in great centers and to really really learn a lot and get a lot of tools so i kind of coupled initially it was really coupled together my own framework i i'm i'm an quite um an organized person so i need to somehow have a something I work towards that's yeah so I created that framework leading people executing process amplifying profit and what I mean by that is it's a form of a pyramid if you you need to lead your people and that that really Honestly, Martin, that starts with how you attract people into your firm, what you offer them, how you onboard them, how the career progression is. Do they get paid on time? Do they get their one-to-ones? Are they nurtured? Are they, I'm saying it now, are they loved so that Mm. they can do the job that they feel Mm. valued? Followed by executing process. And by that, I mean, one of my pet hates, is when i do a, a, an assessment a, a 360 degree assessment that's where is your operational handbook oh we meant to do one but we don't have it. you know there's a bit on the folder here and then we have snow and we have that as a knowledge base and we have this that's not what i asked yeah where is your operational manual mm. oh what we, we don't have that and then i'm like you are missing out because an operation, The process is not just their business continuity process, mm. but, you know, which in fairness, if you're there go and dig, many of them don't hold the water. No, I, I, wonder, I
2: wonder how many during the pandemic were referred to and then
1: yes. people
2: thought, this isn't yes. gonna help us at all.
1: Absolutely, yeah. so, so, so that process piece, it, it has such, a, it, it is so important because it it really helps you to to move your operation forward to make it truly excellent, mm. and then if, if your people are happy and your processes stack up, you make profit. If you're in the outsourcing world, you do maximum billing. Mm. You know you have green service levels, so you are not, not paying any penalties. And if you are in house, you can truly add value. So your contact center isn't a cost center. It can be a profit center
0: mm.
1: and people, I, when I say a contact center can be a profit center, people go, oh, you're mad. You go, yes, but if you treat it as a cost center and you run it on the lowest budget that you possibly have, mm. well, no wonder your NPS goes down and no wonder your, 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 your end customers, they scream and they're unhappy if, if you don't invest.
2: And that, do you think that lends itself then to that kind of... I loved one of your, your, your points earlier, just to come back to, was around that kind of perception of um, outsourcers. If, if the outsourcer is driven by that kind of um, cost model and then it, there's an acceptance around high attrition and all of these things, yeah. often you can see that and go, this, this is insanity because you are actually expecting a different result without looking at, the processes that lead to these um, results. But like you, I've worked in an outsourcer environment and the misperception is something that I've always found quite startling because I've been lucky to work in good outsourcers
1: and customer first, people first. Absolutely. And and often
2: trying to do it with one hand tied behind your back, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
2: that that lends itself then for you to be... um, creative how do you think the industry can um change that perception
1: that's a very good question and i love the question because i think a lot about how do we change this whole piece around how do we shake it up a little bit um to, to me i think it's twofold firstly i i would like to turn all these frontline people into advocates for the work and def- they do and the firm they work for mm. that's, that's, that that a, that a has a lot to do with with really helping these guys to develop and, and be there for them and, and 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 you know support them that's one piece but the other is also I would like to really change the mindset of of the public because you know in fairness. Contact centers are here to stay, whether you like it or not. If you ring an airline, you go into a contact center, and these people can be busy. And it's by no means that they don't want to to talk to you. They genuinely want to talk to you. But if you scream down the phone once you get to an agent, that doesn't help. You know, it it really works both ways. (laughs) I think. Yeah. Dear customer, you know, I want to help you. But if you roar at me for the first 10 minutes to, you know, how disappointed you are that you had to queue and I don't even have an opportunity to apologize that you had to hang in the queue, that's not nice. No. So it's, it's really, I think both sides need a bit of a shake up. the The, the, the customer who phones and and the firms who provide the service and there is where i believe if you look, look after your people and you get your processes right and yes everything is evolving all the time i get that then you can also make money and i'm with you you know outsourcers not every outsourcer is bad there's i'm for fabulous outsourcers yeah. so this perception that oh this is an outsourcing center somewhere in india well back office processes are perfectly fine in India, maybe, Mm. and we all know that maybe frontline services are not that great and Mm. we are, we are fixing it. We are bringing Mm. these services somewhere where the English language is easier, understandable. We do something about it. We learn. Mm.
2: Mm. As you know, kind of, we have another similarity in the where I work now is very much, we provide a multilingual service. Yes. um, I've lived and worked in Turkey and um, also got to work in Germany and Madrid. And that that element, I think, has absolutely benefited my outlook, not just with work, but it, with, in life as well. And you um, spoke to one of my colleagues, Helen, who's also, yes. Yes. who's also multilingual. How do you think, how does that, the multilingual element apply to how you approach work even if the work is just in one language
1: the multilingual aspect to me comes then in when the framework is there and you need to make allowance for localisms Mm. and for let's say language um adaptions and by that i mean that, for example that there is languages and there is cultures where it's perfectly fine that you raise your voice a little bit yeah. Because this is what they do. Let's, for example, Northern Africa. They work that way. There's mm. no. They don't mean anything bad. And if I then respond, I they don't feel offended. Yet, when when, when somebody from the outside world or or not kind of attuned with cultural differences is listening to that call, they go, "Oh my God, that is really aggressive." Do yeah. you mean let's just mark this person down? That is horrendous. Or. Uh, quite typically with Germans, German people do not like to talk about the weather forever. They phone, they want an answer, they hang up. Yes. So there's no point in kind of trying to put in some niceties in the in the call flow into the script, and it annoys the hell out of them. So why would we do that? Yeah. And, and I think that that's what when I have when I have a the base. Line, uh let's say the process. Then I pack any uh, culturalisms, language issues on top of that because we all agree we need to measure up. Uh, we need to measure apple to apple. So therefore, the base process needs to be the same. May not, you know there may be slight variances, but in principle, that's what we do from A to B. But make the allowance for culture yeah. or there are absolutely average handling time is another one that really annoys me the average handling time is about four minutes right it depends who you phone yeah. and, and and to 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 drum that home that that is maybe not the right measurement anymore average handling time then that, to to kind of bring this across into a multilingual contact center that's that's quite something, I can tell you. It's very hard to move away from these measures that we had for twenty odd years, and and still think we can't change them because it's the only way we we do things.
2: I guess it, I wonder. For me, it's always been you are the, the the measures either are there for information or the measures actually determine behavior and how people are. Are managed. And I think AHT is a really interesting one because at some level it needs to be there underlying so you can you yeah. can plan. But when that AHT turns into dictating how interactions take place,
1: yeah, of course there needs to be
2: some common sense applied. But when it becomes the be all and end all, and I think you're right, it definitely feels like um, that is becoming less of less of the, the you know the number one priority for. Centres, thankfully
1: yeah but, but it, it it needs to it needs to actually somehow come to the forefront I always find when I do assessments and I look at the numbers and I look at the service level agreements my clients get very defensive and they say <laughs> well you know this is the service level agreement and and it has been agreed with our end client and, and they're going, I'm not here to you know bash you over the head with your service level. I just want to understand how how good or how how are you meeting them and if you don't meet them because this is why you brought me in, you're saying it's not working what can actually be done and sometimes it is a conversation around the kpis that have been identified because they simply don't lend themselves to the business or the process mm. so you know don't get so defensive. It's, I'm not saying you can't have them. I'm saying let's make them measurable so that A, they, they make sense for the end customer as well. They make sense for the person who provides the service. And it makes sense for, for our planners because of course workforce management needs some sort of guidance how to staff. And they usually come from AHT and, and number of, of calls handled, et cetera.
2: I think um, if we are talking about um, similarities as well one of the things and also sort of trying to address this perception that still exists sometimes one of the things that um, you do and given hearing your how busy you are the journey you've been on I don't know how you find the time to do it but you also run a podcast what can you tell us about that and when you started to do that
1: I do you not know, podcasting. I, when I was ill, I had a lot of time on my hands and I, I listened to podcasts, usually in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. Even mm. steroids kept me awake all night. So I was listening to podcasts. I said, Oh, I would love to do a podcast about my industry, but I didn't have the energy nor anything else. So I kind of pushed it in front of me, in front of me, in front of me. And eventually, I think about October, November time, you came I think it was before Christmas last year that you came out with your podcast, your first series.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was um,
1: get out of rap. Because yeah, nice. I distinctly yeah. remember listening to it and commenting, day <laughs> hey, I love that. And I, great, there is now a podcast. Why can I not do that? So anyway, anyway, I pushed it in front ahead for a while and then I thought, you know what, Marianne? Just just you know, do it. Yeah. so I kicked it off I started it in February I absolutely love it people probably can hear I'm I'm passionate about the industry I like to talk I'm I'm a much better talker than writing blog posts or whatnot Um, and I was very very privileged to have a number of really interesting guests including you and Helen (laughs) and I did have um uh, my client Bart Hendrik from uh, Signify in the Netherlands great episode where people really openly and willingly share the good and the bad and the ugly of the industry and in my opinion there is so much good out there mm-hmm. and it it needs to be heard and if, if the podcast or our chat just inspires people to say okay this, there is something to this 200 billion pound industry which is here to stay more so now than ever yeah maybe i should seriously consider how i approach a contact center or maybe i could really have a career here and if somebody has a career here then happy days
2: i just i love the fact how um i think our our interaction is actually kind of it, it it evidences what I found through doing the podcast, but throughout my career anyway, which is people are happy to share, you know, yeah. that people could look at it and say, are you guys in competition? It's never been about competition. Um, no, for me, it's, I,
1: crea- it's about creativity. It's, it's not about exactly, competition it, at it, all. Exactly.
2: Because yeah. having, having listened to your podcast, it's one of those things where um, I've listened to it, I thought, this is, this is amazing. And it kind of holds a mirror up and get to me and I go, Martin, you nearly you really need to raise your game a bit because Marianne's is brilliant. <laughs> so.
1: well, but I think exactly the same. At my <laughs> yeah. point, but my point is Martin, there is creativity in each single podcast out there. Mm, and there's definitely. more than enough room for everybody as well. Exactly. So apply your skill and do it in a way you love it. And that's all there is.
2: What, do you know? where do you think you're um, going to take it and just for everyone's benefit do you want to just kind of what is it called how can they access it
1: oh yeah of course thank you so the, the podcast is called uh, the operational excellence show it's on all the major podcast uh, platforms like uh, itunes or spotify uh, it's um also on my website can i mention my website yeah of course you can yeah. my website is woodconsulting.com and there's a, a a little podcast tab where where listeners can go and download and look at all the podcasts that that we did also yours is there and helen's is there so it's it's, it's a great great resource there's a number of you know documents that people can download um which i find always helpful so yeah, and where am I gonna take this? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I love that answer because it's the same one I've got. Who knows?
1: <laughs> you know, I I love doing it. I've met great, great people. Um, on the back of, of the podcast, I a couple of weeks ago, and your colleague Helen may have mentioned that to you, but I invited a handful of people to a what I call the the peer circle, that all industry people. We met and we had an elevated conversation about anything but business, because at the end of the day, we are all we we are all human beings. We all have things that we sometimes think. Mm, if I say that out there, then what do other people think? Mm. So we have a rule; uh, it's the Chatham House rule, and English people will know what that means. Anything in Chatham House is highly confidential. does <laughs> not go out of these four walls, yeah. Um, and we and they applied that rule, and we had now we had two circles now, and it was just amazing. So, so that's a byproduct of the the podcast because people just kept talking to me and i talked to them and i thought well how about that would you like that oh yeah we would so that's a so it's any
2: so the rule is it it cannot be about business
1: so when i started this the rule was it cannot be about covid19 and politics (laughs) yes we have got got people from germany from the netherlands from ireland and the uk in there and so, so it was really politics was probably not even that you know Mm. um, uh, dominant Um, but we also agreed that um, of course we work and and business comes out but it's about kind of sharing the next deeper layer of a concern Mm. so it's not about oh I haven't I have a really difficult project and it's not going very well it's about I do have a really difficult project. The issues are A, B, and C, and it it does that and this and either with me, and I don't know how to do to deal with that. Mm. And it's great; people seem to love it.
2: I bet they, I bet they do. And do so, you, do you, um, do you think uh, the lockdown and now how we're. It seems to me that because we're all communicating in this way now, this is the only way. I know people are starting Mm -hmm. to return, um, but there's, you know, the majority are still um, in a virtual world. Yeah. It seems that everyone, even those that might not have been comfortable doing it initially, have recognized that there is, because you're being invited into people's homes visually, that they're more inclined to spend the time to try and connect on a more personal level
1: during Mm. work i think that's that's one that's definitely one but what i also heard is from people that have that run their own business that maybe were consultants for a while and didn't really have colleagues anymore Mm. Mm. you know on a permanent basis Mm. um they they did they did feel even more isolated in the lockdown than Beforehand, because in fairness if I go into a, a firm, I go in, I be there for maybe three months, maybe six months, maybe a bit longer, depending on the work I need to do, um, and I connect on a personal level, maybe with two people yeah. i don 't have when, when I worked in corporate, I had friends in every, every department, yeah, and I just walked around and took yeah. my coffee and said, "Hey finance guy let 's go to the canteen, have lunch together That all fl- fell away. Yeah. And you still need this interaction and and I feel decisions that we made when we, or or views that we shared when we walked the floor or we walked to the canteen or we, we, we went out and I'm not even a smoker but I went out with the smokers because <laughs> everybody this is where the chat happens
2: right (laughs) yeah i absolutely know that experience in turkey the whole contact center used to disappear so i have to follow
1: absolutely in india too everybody went out yeah there's anyone going yeah exactly (laughs) you you need to go so so that you can get this interaction and you can hear maybe something personal or sometimes really topics are discussed on the way into the boardroom let's face it when we go in we already have made up our mind and we know exactly what we want to say because we, we have some backup. That's all gone away. So,
2: how, that's, how is it going to be replaced, do you think, if this continues?
1: Do you know, that's an, that's an interesting question. I wholeheartedly believe we, in our industry, we could have had a good mix of home working and in-centre working for a long time. And only a handful of outsourcers and contact centers have, have actually um, taken advantage of it and built a model that works for them. So when this COVID happened, they weren't all that surprised because yeah. they either had an arm, they already had home workers, or they, they you know, they had, a, they had some sort of understanding. But I also realize and I hear that a lot, working from home is not for everybody. Yeah. And and there, I think that there is where the HR element will play a much bigger role and the recruitment element will play a much bigger role because you need to hire people into the right environment. So if somebody is really not suited for whatever the reason may be to work from home, you need to offer this person opportunity to work in centre. And that, that balance is 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 really i don't think we have found a formula for that how how we can do it but we need to to have both
2: yeah well i'm sure with people like you in the industry we'll find the solution
1: (laughs) Oh well, you and i can find the solution how about (laughs) that and we just dish it out
2: (laughs) (laughs) that sounds that sounds good to me um marianne you absolutely even before today um I've got great admiration for, for what you do and the passion that you bring and your competency. You're genuinely inspirational. Um, just, to, just to end, what, for a message to people who want to kind of pursue a similar, similar career to you mm-hmm. or just want to progress, what would be your advice to them?
1: My advice would really be go for it but never forget where you started off. It pains me when I walk the floor and I sit with somebody and we start to chat and then they say, why are you sitting with me? And I went, because I'm genuinely interested in what you do, I want to hear. And then we chat again and then somebody says, well, you know, you are one of the very few people that sits with me. And then I know what's fundamentally wrong on that contact center floor. So when when you strive for your career and, and you build your career, you genuinely care about people, you want the best for you people, never forget where you came from. Never forget that you started off as an agent, as a team manager. And remember, these are the people who actually bring in the money at the end. You yeah. yeah, pay my salary, quite yeah. frankly. So yeah. I better understand that and honour them for the work they do, because if they weren't there, I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah. It's about honouring the position you hold and honouring the position that other people hold. Because I find that extremely important.
2: Marianne, I love that phrase and it's a lovely one to, to end on, to kind of honour the work that people do and honour your yeah. own work. So. Yeah. Marianne Rutz, thank you so much. We definitely have to just keep popping back on each other's podcast. Absolutely, I'm more we sure could talk there, about. Will be,
1: there will be an encore with you. There's, no, there's <laughs> no doubt about it. Martin, thank you very much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. Would have loved to have had more time to talk to Marianne. Uh, fascinating person. Real role model and inspiration. Definitely check out her website um, rutconsulting.com and you'll see there the podcast that she has called the Operational Excellence Podcast. Um, Great guest and hopefully we get to speak to Marianne again. Uh, Thanks again for listening. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and feel free to contact me. Any interactions about the um, podcast, even if it's criticism or anything like that, I'm all ears. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Yay!